What's shaking? Hey, I'm Rick Jordan, and today we're going all in. My guest today, because we, we do guests every now and then, is an amazing dude who is a captain in the U.S. Army, both airborne and ranger qualified. And if that doesn't make him a badass just as it is, because that's a lot right there, and I appreciate that so much. The dude is the CEO, COO of Funware, publicly traded technology company that's near and dear to my heart, co-founder, managing partner of Texo Ventures. You know, we're talking venture capitalists, we're talking funding, we're talking a whole bunch of things. Randall Crowder, badass. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Man, I, I, I don't know if I can live up to that intro. I, I appreciate you having me on. Dude, it's, it's you though. And I, I wanted to start because this is not, and uh, actually this is interesting. Okay. So in your bio, you know, and I know you're leading with a lot of the business stuff, right? And I, I've met a lot of other vets that are the same way. Like the, they, they're no longer in the service. Right. But I also want to thank you for serving. And I say that in, in a present Thank tense you. because I don't feel like that really ever ends, right? It's like your, your brothers and sisters in the in the army are still your brothers and sisters always. It, it's so true, and it, but it's true for everything. I think you know, it's like yeah. when you when you go through something, whether it's company building, you know, whether it's something like you know war fighting, you know, it, there's nothing like that 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 brings you together. And so I always tell people, like entrepreneurs, when when it, when it hits the fan. And you're about to go bankrupt and everything's, you know, chaos, you know, that's when you're building muscle. And, and so I think it's always one of those things that when you look back on it and, and you're on the other side of it, you know, you just build relationships in those times that you can't build in the happy times. So, you know, people need to understand that the good, the, the tough times are what make strong men and women. Right on. Absolutely. And here's a, I'm relating some of the, you know, your bio to, to me, actually, like I think of my LinkedIn profile. And when, I've always thought about this because I see that, right? And I, I wanted to mention that you're a vet first because it's so important to me and my heart always is with anybody that's, that's a vet and that is currently in or out of service. And I'm curious, what's the reason why you don't have that in your main bio somewhere? Because you have West Point, right? But you don't have, you don't have the fact that you were a captain in the army. Yeah, it's a very, wow. You know, it's funny. Yeah, that's the first time I've, I've done a lot of talking and a lot of interviews. And that's a very, that, that goes beyond just the, you know, hey, that was an insightful question. That is actually yeah. a really insightful question that I've never been asked before. So kudos to you um, for being an original. You know, it's, it's not, it's not a great answer, I don't think. But I'm going to, I'm going to be real with you. Please, and I'm going to yeah. answer you honestly. I was, I didn't know what I was getting into when I joined the military. I think a lot of people don't know what they're getting into, whether it's joining the military, starting a business, you know, taking a job, getting into a relationship. It's yeah, the unknown. That's but true. I really didn't know what I was getting into in the late 90s. Actually, I thought it was the opposite. A Rumsfeld was downsized in the Army. Um, a lot of people were getting out after going to West Point. And so, you know, we were peacetime. It was the glory days. And uh, my senior year was September 11th. And I still remember walking into class the very first class I had after the towers fell and it, you couldn't have scripted this any better. We had this old school Colonel that I think had jumped into Grenada, you know, iron jaw, gravelly voice. And he's kind of looking at us as we're all sitting down and he goes, well, cadets, you're all going to war. And it was like, shit, 
Like that was a realization that like wow. the, the world I thought I was going into going to West Point, you know, having a good education, you know, I don't come from wealth, you know, I would, but my parents didn't have to pay for college, which was great. I thought I was giving something back to them. And then, you know, I figured we'd serve a little bit. It'd be a good experience, get out and go live my life. And all of a sudden everything changes. You know, you know that you're going to you know be under fire probably within the next, you know, 12 to 18 months doing that was transformational for me, but I didn't want that to be transformational of me. And so I have a tattoo across my back that's most of my back that is a phoenix, and it represents and I a kind of a feeling I had while I was serving where I was like, you know what, as, as transformational as this is, and as much as I'll remember this, and as much as it'll shape me, I don't want it to be who I am. Like, I don't want to be one of those people that, you know, 20 years from now, you know, one time in Iraq, I did this and one time I did that. Like, I wanted to be defined by, you know, being a great, you know, husband, being a great father, being, you know, a good businessman. Like, I don't want this to be the one triumphant moment of my life is that I served in war one day. And so I think I've distanced myself from it. Um more so than probably I should, you know, I mean, I, I am proud of it. Um, I'm inherently proud of the people I served with, of course. Um, but you won't find me talk about it a lot. Like I don't talk about it in business a lot. I don't talk about what I did a lot. Um, it's one of those things that like, I don't want it to define me, uh, but I, I do understand that it's still a part of me. So that's interesting. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm disclaiming it a little bit and I'm, I'm, pushing it down a little bit because I don't want someone to necessarily judge me for that one way or the other. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to dissect that a little bit more. <laughs> Kudos to you for asking me that question. That's good, man. I mean, it, we always go all in, right? And I, I saw that and it made me think uh, it what's, what's ironic is you said, you don't think that that's a good answer, meaning that it was probably a bad answer in your mind. And I actually feel that that was probably the most perfect answer you know, because it, it, you could see <laughs> yourself like reflecting back on that time as you were telling the stories and how everything tr transpired back at that point. And that I think dude can be powerful for you. So it's, sorry, I might coach you a little bit on the call. I don't know. <laughs> it says, I, I think it, yeah, really I like it. could be powerful. Never for stop you. learning, right? Right on brother. Right on. So even like, like if you look at my bio as an example, and I'm not saying mine's the best way, but it's like, there's the business stuff and the creds. Cause I've accomplished a lot just like you have. And then at the bottom, mm -hmm. it's like, by the way, I'm also a musician. I'm an avid scotch fan. Yeah. You know? and, and when you look on my LinkedIn, right. Cause I, I have a, very active profile with articles and everything about my industry and just general motivation, entrepreneurship, but you see, you know, there's like gaps in employment in places, but there's selective things on there now. And one of the things that still is on there, at least in like my about me is that I worked at McDonald's. Yeah. And that was something that, that somebody actually like when I was 16, right. And, and it's, it's on there that yeah. I worked at McDonald's and it's like, how does that freaking apply today? But just like you're saying, bro, it's like, it's not something that defines me, but it's still something that I can pull learnings from and it's still a part of me. It actually still yeah. even dictates how I sell today and I use stories and examples from working at McDonald's to coach people on selling that work in my organization. You know, cause I, I love the, I love the, hey, do you want fries with that? That's literally the best line in sales ever. 
you know, and I, I talk about that, lot, but, but that's why it's on my LinkedIn bio too. You know, it's not on my, like my official bio, because I mean, if I'm going to speak, you know, on stage somewhere, I don't have to list off. I mean, it does not compare to being a captain in the army that I was an assistant manager yeah. at McDonald's, you know, <laughs> it's I don't a, know. I've seen some pretty crazy, you know, Instagram and YouTube videos of what goes on in a Waffle House or a McDonald's. You might, it might oh, be man. combat at times. You never know. But I mean, you're right. Talk about, you know, upselling, talk about customer service. There's also a lot of really great Harvard, you know, case studies on like what McDonald's did to kind yeah. of, you know, create that situation where you want to sit for a little bit of time, but not too much time. The coloring, everything about how McDonald's was done was very prescriptive. And so there's a yeah. lot of lessons to be learned for, for what they did. So I love that. For sure, man. I, I mean, if you're going to throw this in your bio, like I would even maybe do like a sentence or two based off of what you just said here today. Like, while I value the t time that I served, you know, it, it's a part of me. But just like anything else in my life, it doesn't define me because I hope everybody can grow past whatever current state they're in right now, but apply mm -hmm. those learnings to what they're currently doing and currently serving with. I think I just wrote a line oh. for you, by the way. I, I, I'm going to steal it. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you credit where it's due. So, you know, it, that's so important about, you know, one, being vulnerable, like, you know, yeah. not necessarily yeah. blaming certain things, you know, being like, hey, this is me. Because like, you know, the people that aren't your people, you know, will either not pay attention or maybe judge. But, you know, the people that are your people are going to resonate with that. They're going to be like, yeah, man, like I, I remember getting my first job. I worked at Randall's, you know, it was a grocery store. And I used to love like older people thought it was hilarious because I was Randall. <laughs> Randall, and Randall's, and they thought <laughs> That's it was awesome. The best possible thing. <laughs> Um, but like, you know, the early jobs when yeah. you're, you know, in your formative years are important talking points and like, you know, what did you learn? You know, what yeah. was it like? And and I think, you know, sharing those with others, that's why I think these, these, you know, podcasts are so important. You know, you're sharing your vulnerability, you're sharing your truth and you realize how many other people have had similar experiences or like-minded experiences or thoughts and you realize you're not alone. And so, you know, the more you share, the more, the more vulnerable you are. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just, it's a nice light for other people to, to kind of see, emulate, shine, shine brighter. Right on brother. I mean, there's so much you have from there too. I mean, I, I'm, it's like, I want to give you a big hug because I, I have sincere. <laughs> I'll take it. I'm a hugger. Good man. I have sincere <laughs> thanks for you, you know, and around everything that you did, especially during that time. I mean, even things like two bronze stars and all of that, it's like, you're, you weren't just your average grunt, you know, and it, it's it's awesome. And I think that that could even help people that are in there. Cause I, I know vets that have been in there as well, but then they also like take a liking to other vets so that they're financially sound when they come out, you know, yeah. so they, they use the service to actually turn it into part of their business. Right. And you're right. That way you're not excluding and you're kind of including, I love it, man. I do. I want to give you a hug cause I, I love your energy, dude. And it's, a, I know. you gave probably I, I the best answer it. ever to that question. And I just pulled it out of my butt, but I was, I was curious. <laughs> You, 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 what's funny is you, you took me to a different level because I have to take my own medicine now. So like one of the, the, one of the really neat books that I think really shines a light on what's happening in service and going all in, in, in America is Startup Nation. And it's actually about Israel and how their service lends itself to entrepreneurship and innovation in Israel. And so you would think, well, how could that possibly be correlated? Like most people in America think, all right, you're in the army, you love bureaucracy, chains of command, you can't think creatively. 
And you, it couldn't be further from the truth. But what happens a lot of times with people getting out of the army or any military branch, you know, they don't really know how to translate that experience. You know, and I had the same thinking when I got out. I was like, man, all my friends are on Wall Street doing billion dollar deals. You know, they're consulting for Fortune 500 companies. Like, what do I have to offer? Like, you know, you want to do movement to contact? I can do that. You want to raid a house? I can do that. But like, you know, I don't know. I don't have my series seven. Like, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. And you quickly realize that a lot of what you're learning actually is a huge personal competitive advantage. And you actually have a lot of tools that a lot of opportunities require that, you know, maybe a lot of Harvard and Stanford grads don't have actually. Um, so helping people understand how to translate you know, athletes go through this as well. Like, how do you translate, you know, what you did as a professional athlete and into private sector? You know, it's not just, oh, geez, I got to start all over. It's like, you actually have a lot of leadership skills. You have a lot of organizational development skills. You have a lot of grit. That's valuable. And so, and you have a great network, by the way. Um, and so learning how to make the most of who you are and, and, and sell all of it, including the vulnerable stuff or maybe the stuff that you push down uh, further on the profile is important. So I'm going to take my own medicine and and you, you gave me some thinking to do. Sweet brother. I've been guilty of that too. Like pushing down the stuff that I thought didn't matter. And then it's crazy because the stuff that you think doesn't matter. I mean, maybe it's a, a, a male testosterone thing too. You know, I, I could see that. I mean, yeah. we're both, we're both fairly built guys. You know? <laughs> you know, we, we value, we value being men as we see men. And when I, when I took a look at some vulnerable stuff in my life too, I would start to push that aside, you know, things yeah. like I'm an ordained pastor, you know, and I'm a, I'm a musician and, and all those things. Are you really? I am. Yeah. I, um, wow. and I was challenged in that too, a while back huh. by a friend of mine. He's like, you know, when you're ordained is like for life. He's like, why do you say you were a former pastor? It's kind of the similar thing, right? With, with, with the military. And I'm like, dude, yeah. dude that's right. You know, thank you for that. This was like maybe three years ago. You know, That's so then that made it into my bio <laughs> after, after that too, because it just shows a foundation, you know, but then it, I mean, it goes, I'm also real too, of course. And I love that dichotomy because when I did stand up on Broadway a few years ago, which was another experience, there was another pastor and this was the, one of my parts of my bit and my, my sketch. I'm like, there's two pastors that are up here tonight, but don't worry. I'm the only one that says fuck. <laughs> the whole place erupts and it's a, it's like yeah i'm the real one because you know he's still got the congregation you know and, and all those people that he's accountable to you know it's it's just it's just me and g and that's what it there is right go. now and i'm making an impact on the world okay I love it. I love it. Oh, dude. Uh, I love where we're going today, man. I, I want to touch on funware, you know, because I'm intrigued about this because it, it, in your bio, right, it's 40 angel investments. You've deployed over 60 million across 14 companies. I mean, that's nothing that just shake a finger at by any means. You're in Austin right now. So in addition to funding and being an angel investor, you also have a company in Austin, right? That's separate. These are two separate things. Yeah. Yeah. Two separate things. And ironically, there was, you know, I always tell people this too, you know, this is the smallest big world you'll ever imagine. And, you know, the relationships that you build and what you do, um, it's crazy the ways it will come back, you know, around. Yeah. And so when I was still doing it, when I just got started doing angel investing in kind of 2008 timeframe, um, and then I took over, I grew basically the Central Texas Angel Network to be one of the most, is now the most active angel network uh, in the country. Um, 
really the idea was just, you know, actually taking everything that I learned about from the military and applying it to bringing investors and entrepreneurs together. And you'd be amazed at how undisciplined that is. And by providing a little bit of discipline, a little bit of structure, it allowed that process to go a lot faster. And, and everybody kind of set expectations properly. Well, I helped with the first one and a half million dollars to start Funware back in 2009. And then we were both kind of, you know, army, uh, both rangers and kind of said, you know, all right, let's keep in touch. And, and we just kind of, you know, I kept in touch from a kind of an investor perspective, but wasn't operational. Fast forward 10 years, um, it's about 2017, uh, actually. Um, they were looking at, you know, possibly going public and possibly doing some things around crypto. I had had another fund that was tied to kind of crypto. And so I was like, you know, evaluating another investment. And so I put about $3 million into the last round when they were private. And the old CEO needed to step away for some health reasons. And the CEO said, hey, you want to actually stop doing the investment thing full time and come do this, you know, this company with me full time. And I think at that point, I was ready. Um, you know, when you're an investor, you're a backseat driver if you're yeah. investing properly. You know, when things kind of go a little bit sideways, maybe you're riding shotgun and you want to be, you know, a little bit more, you know, present. Yeah. And then if things are really going sideways, maybe you got a hand on the wheel or you jump in the driver's seat. But for the most part, if you're investing in the right entrepreneurs, you're a backseat driver. Um, and I don't make a good backseat driver. I like, I like being in control. <laughs> no, uh, actually, a, I never got great. that about you. And I'm being sorry. There's actually a funny story about me getting in trouble multiple times in Iraq because more often than not, we either air inserted or drove. Um, but I mean, or walked, but if we drove, I drove myself and my driver was my calm guy. And you were absolutely not supposed to drive yourself as an officer uh, in a combat zone. But I just, I'm a good driver and I feel like I see everything that I want to see. Um, and I was going to drive one way or the other. I felt more comfortable driving myself and being aware of the battlefield in control. And so same thing in investing, I want to drive. And so it was a good time for me to transition into a full-time operational role as an entrepreneur and funware had a big enough problem that it was trying to solve. You know, I remember thinking when I was doing investing, it was all healthcare. So it was like health, healthcare technology, uh, tech enabled healthcare services, that kind of thing. Uh, because I like the fact that what we were investing in and what we were growing could help people. Yeah. Um, Funware was a different problem, but still had a broad reach. It was how do we take all of these mobile applications on our phone and do more with them? And so, you know, it's not just about binge watching Netflix. It's not just about fighting with people about mask mandates on social media. You know, this is going to be the future of engagement. And so, like, we just rolled out at Atlantis down in the Bahamas. And so, anywhere on that island, we now we've mapped the entire island. You'll know anywhere you are down to palm tree level. You can book anything you want, you know, on demand. So it's like the buy now button in the real world. Wow. You know, Amazon did that for e-com. We're doing that in the real world. Uh, but our biggest industry is healthcare. You know, it's, it's tech enabling healthcare. It's like, how do we, you know, you go into an, a hospital building and it's so complicated. You get lost. You don't know where your medical records are. You don't know how to, you know, where's your bill pay, discharge protocols, pharmacy, you know, everything about healthcare is just so complicated. How do we demystify it? And how do we do that through a mobile device since we live in a mobile first yeah. world? And so that's what our company is all about. What was the big one question that you were like, fun, where's the answer to this? You know, how do you engage customers when we live in an on-demand world? And everyone has ADD. 
Because that's what it is. I like, like it. Right yeah. now, people want what they want. They want it right now. And if you miss them in the moment, you may miss them forever. So you have to be able to interdict in that moment. And that's what Amazon did in e-com. They figured out, like, I remember when I first heard about the buy now button, I'll admit, I didn't really get it. I was like, but I, I have a cart. What's the problem? And then yeah. anybody in e-com will be like, that is the problem. People think they want it. They put it in their cart and then they abandon it. Yep. Well, yep. we do that in our real world lives all the time. So like if you're at Atlantis and you're rolling past a sign for a stingray encounter and you got two little munchkins with you and you're like, man, that'd be great. You know, I should, I should bring the kids over and see that. But we better get them fed first because they're going to melt down if they don't eat something. And you get to the restaurant. It's a 30 minute wait. By the time you sit them down, they're all throwing a temper tantrum. You finally get some food in them. You know, maybe you spill a couple of drinks on your, your brand new swim trunks. By the end of that dinner, you may have forgotten about the stingray encounter. Maybe all you want to do is hand these little monsters off to mom and take a nap. Yeah. Well, yeah. well I can get you in that moment when you're excited about it. I'm going to give you that buy now capability right then and there. So we see that all the time right now with our customers where people want what they want yep. and you yep. got to give it to them. So it's a great way to you know drive incremental revenue, save on operational costs and really kind of look at the efficiencies of any one system. You know, are you using your people properly? Are you getting people the right content when they need it? Um, and so you could be standing outside a building and get content specific for that experience or what's around you, what's important to you. And so it's all about tech enabling that contextual engagement. I love it. Yeah. You're really diving into the purchaser psychology with that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. The, you know, some things there, there has to be a cart, right? When you're custom configuring some things, or if you're putting together an outfit on a clothing site or something like that, but if you're just selling like one thing, because you see all yeah. these, you know, it's like click funnels, right? Which I'm sure you're familiar with. It's like sure. they never built in a cart to their funnel system at all. You have to use yeah. add-ons in order to do that. And that's because of this psychology that you just want to make it super simple and easy to convert somebody on the spot. And then 100%. after that, after you've already converted them, after they've entered their credit card number and everything else, it's like then you upsell. Then it, see, this conversation's full circle. Then it's do you want fries with that? You're a prize of that. And no joke, like when I was, this is great because when I was at McDonald's too, when somebody was ordering through the drive through, I never asked them if they wanted fries with that, like I was trained to while they were at the ordering menu. It was after they handed me the cash, because I mean, I'm going back to like the mid 90s, right? After they handed me the cash, I'm like, you know what? Did you want fries with that or you want some of those? Like, oh yeah, I'm like, okay, no problem. It's just going to be this much now because they already committed to purchasing at that yep. point they already even established the transaction and then it was yep. just super simple to get something else added to the ticket it's freaking awesome so important yeah. and people you know, don't realize that about so much like how you know how much it's anything about customer success yeah. or any business i mean it's so much easier to get more revenue from an existing customer than go out and acquire a new customer because you're right they're already committed to that engagement but you'll talk to companies and you're like, what's your customer success strategy? And it's like, what do you mean? Like they, they don't, they just, they're, they're all out there just trying to find new customers, which you got to do both, yeah. but don't forget about the customers you have. And so we have a, we have a great land and expand strategy where it's like, all right, we're going to give you that foundation layer with a mobile application, location-based services, but then let's roll out access control. You want to unlock all your doors with your phone? We can do that. You want to integrate your mobile concierge? We can do that. And so it's all just this interoperability layer because, like you said, they're already committed to the transaction. Right on, Then you brother. can go all in. Right on, baby. I love it. 
So for today, I think we're good now because uh, I, I, what I want to do, because I, I, there's some other stuff I want to shift into, but it's like another 30 minutes worth of conversation. So yeah, while we're it. still recording, I would love to have you back. Yeah, because it, this. It, so everyone listening, we're going to talk about leveraging blockchain next time. We're going to talk about the angel investing side of things and also about uh, Texas Venture Labs. These are yeah. three things that I want to talk to talk about with Randall when he's coming back here in just a couple weeks. So stay tuned for that. It's amazing. Randall, thanks for being with me today, bud. I appreciate you. Thanks so much. I really yeah, appreciate man. your time. You bet. Thanks for going all in.